Funds People Podcast, a voz dos profissionais de investimento. Olá, o meu nome é Miguel Rego e estou aqui da parte da Funds People para dar as boas-vindas ao podcast com o tema O papel das obrigações no atual contexto de mercado. Rita Gonzalez, partner de investimentos na Sociedade de Consultoria para Investimento da Luar Wealth Advisors, vai estar à conversa com Nicolas Trindade, gestor do AXA World Funds Global Short Duration Bonds da AXA Investment Managers. A conversa será em inglês e esperemos que seja do vosso interesse. And now, the word goes to Rita and Nicolas. Uh, so, hi. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to have this uh, conversation on uh, such a complex uh, moment. Um, I believe that uh, uh, the main questions that uh, we all have regarding uh, what is happening, it's of course um, the idea that uh, we have a very complex duality of factors. First, uh, we do know that uh, uh, we have uh, data that uh, is indicating that uh, we are going through a cycle, new cycle of slowdown in growth. Uh, but then we also have, of course, all the continuing uh, inflation uh, pressures. Um, then we have the worsening of, of the pandemic. And, uh, of course, everyone is just looking for what will authorities uh, really uh, do at the moment, which is quite complex, as we've heard. So uh, what we have seen from this, their speeches is that uh, they are... Uh, starting uh, to get less tolerant uh, towards uh, all um, the, the inflation data that we have uh, been um, uh, reading. Uh, so, first of all, I believe that uh, for fixed income and for financial markets as a whole, uh, maybe um, the expectation through what uh, policy uh, makers and and, and uh, and monetary policy in particular, but of course, uh, also fiscal. What do you think that uh, uh, on the current environment should we expect from them? Yes, thank you for having me. Um, yes, yeah, so definitely, I mean, going into 2022, we definitely see two main risks. The first one is around COVID and the potential new variant that will be a lot more transmissible and potentially could evade uh, the current vaccines. And actually we got some negative news from that perspective this morning with the new South African variant that we can maybe talk about a bit later on. Then the second main risk that we see to the outlook is inflation. I mean, inflation has definitely surprised on the upside. If you would have talked to economists at the beginning of the year, they would all have thought that CPI would be at 2% by now, which is definitely not the case. So inflation has definitely surprised on the upside. And that's something that we need to be really mindful going into 2022. I think central banks are becoming more and more uneasy about those high le levels of inflation. And what we may see is actually, for example, in the US, a faster tapering. And we may see a tapering that instead of ending in June 2022, may finish as early as March 2022, enabling them, enabling them to hike interest rates a bit early in 2022. So definitely, I think the risk going into next year is definitely for faster tightening and, and higher and faster uh, interest rate rises. Yeah, but don't you think that uh, uh, the pandemic situation uh, worsening will just uh, maybe change uh, the expectations on uh, 
what uh, uh, will um, really do the monetary uh, authorities, uh, because, uh, of course, it's, it's a great threat uh, in terms of uh, the economic growth that uh, actually is uh, now slowing down. Yes, I mean, I mean, the issue we have is that obviously we don't know a lot about the South African variant as, as it is today. I mean, we think that is more transmissible, but we're not really sure if it's actually, if vaccines are still, you know, capable of handling it or not. So we, we, we lack clarity here. And I know that a lot of scientists are going to be looking at your new strain of, of COVID-19 to, to assess that. Now, obviously, if this new strain that we've seen in South Africa uh, can evade vaccines, or if, for example, it's a lot more transmissible and people get a lot sicker when they contract that, that virus, then obviously what we may see is a return of lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And what we may see is basically a slowdown in economic activity because of that. Now we can hope that you know, Pfizer, AstraZeneca would be able to come up with a new vaccine that could deal with this, uh, with this new strain. But obviously it may take time. And so if you take the view that we're going to go into lockdowns again by, by the end of this year, then very clearly that push out basically any interest rate hikes. Yeah, and it's already happening uh, at Central Europe. Uh, we have many countries that uh, already imposed lockdowns. Um, yeah, I mean, we have some countries like, for example, Austria, who decided to put a, a two-week lockdown on its economy. Uh, again, the market to some extent discarded that because Austria obviously is a small economy within the context of, of Europe. Mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. most of the focus really is on France and Germany in particular. And cases has been going up quite dramatically in, in Germany. But I think there's not a lot of appetite, to be honest, to, to go back into lockdowns. Uh, and I think they will try to do other things before having to, to go into lockdowns. I think lockdowns end up being really the last resort uh, mm-hmm. action that governments are really willing to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, we were always expecting some kind of a winter wave coming through, and I think we are right in the middle of it. But everything being equal, if you look at a central scenario and if you took to our U.S. economist, what he would expect is basically for tapering to end in June 2022 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and for the first hike to be in December 2022 and then to see another three hikes in, in 2023. That is mm-hmm. a central scenario. Now, mm-hmm. from our perspective, assuming everything is fine on the COVID front, the risk is probably for faster taper and an earlier mm-hmm. uh, increase in interest rates. Mm-hmm. So that is for the U.S. If you focus on the Eurozone, the Eurozone is in a totally different situation uh, because we expect QE to go all the way to, to basically the end of 2022. And we only expect a first hike in interest rate in the second half of 2023. Mm-hmm. So monetary, monetary policy conditions are still going to remain very easy in the Eurozone for, for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. And given that uh, scenario uh, and uh, the main uh, subclasses for fixed income um, regarding uh, government investment grade, high yield corporate uh, generally and emerging markets, uh, do you have a view where we can find uh, more value or do you have any expectations or reference uh, uh, goals uh, in terms of uh, what would be um, the, the, the objectives we can have and, and the performance we can have uh, on the short term or on the, the, the medium term for fixed income? To be honest with you, I mean, it's difficult to find value, value right now in fixed income markets because everything looks quite expensive. I mean, if you look at investment grade markets, they still look really expensive from an historical perspective. If you look at higher, they look a bit cheaper and they definitely underperformed over, over the last mm-hmm. month and so and here there's maybe a little bit more value. But again, from an historical perspective, it still looks quite expensive. And then EM is facing his own issues. 
I mean, EM is facing the issue that comes with China. We're seeing a slowdown in economic growth in China due to the slowdown in the property sector. Mm-hmm. Then a lot of emerging countries are faced with higher inflation and a lot of EM central banks have had to hike interest rate this year. So it's quite a challenging environment for, for EM. And that's why since the beginning of the year, we've been actually reducing our exposure to, to EM countries because we think the current environment is quite challenging because they face the pressure of higher inflation, which leads to higher interest rates. Then on top of that, uh, the Fed is tapering quantitative easing, mm-hmm. and we expect to see higher treasury yields and higher interest rates. So that is quite a challenging environment for, for, for EM countries. Um, the portfolio that I manage, the global short duration portfolio is flexible in nature uh, because we can invest in sovereign investment grade, high yield and emerging markets. And we invest up to five years maturity. That's why it's a short duration fund because we have a cap at five years. And if you look at the portfolio right now, we are overweight Govis. Mm-hmm. And actually half of our Govi exposure is in Linkers. We are quite substantially on the weight investment grade credit and we are about neutral higher than him. Mm-hmm. And the reason we position this way is because I think in the current environment, it's important to still have a good bucket, a good defensive bucket within your portfolio, because that gives you the ability to re-risk the portfolio if you see attractive opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having a lot of linkers also, I think, is quite attractive in the current environment, considering all the upside surprises that we've seen uh, on, on inflation. Then mm-hmm. being on the weight investment grade makes a lot of sense, because firstly, as I said, valuations are very expensive. And secondly, the investment grade market tend to be quite long duration in nature. Uh, and so technicals could potentially be quite negative for the investment grade market overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, we are still neutral on high yield in particular. And the reason for that is because we want to optimize the carry within the portfolio. In a low spread, low yield environment, you don't necessarily want to be massively underweight high carry asset classes because otherwise that could have an impact on your performance in mm-hmm. an environment where spreads won't move much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so um, fixed income is, of course, one of the main areas of uh, any uh, diversified uh, portfolio. Um, and um, all the financial market seems to be uh, quite expensive, not only on the fixed income side, but also on uh, on the equity side. Um Many uh, analysts and, ma- and many managers uh, just uh, are looking at the moment for uh, the real rates. And uh, um, if we keep up with uh, uh, such uh, low and uh, negative real rates, uh, many think many many uh, of them think that uh, we can have uh, uh, value uh, still on the equity market. Um, For this, and given your view on the on the market, which is of course with a low uh, return potential, uh, what is, in your opinion, uh, the diversification power of the fixed income area on uh, a diversified portfolio? What I mean is that uh, at a moment where uh, we will have a positive correlation between uh, um, rates and equity market. Where do you think uh, we can have really diversification, diversification power uh, for the portfolios? I think if you just look at today, so today Black Friday, I mean, uh, I think fixed income market has shown that you can benefit from diversification by being in fixed income market. Because if you look at the yield of the 10-year treasury, it's mm-hmm. down 10 basis points. If you look at the yield of the 10-year guilt, it's also 
basis points. They probably run six, seven basis points for the Tanya German Bund. So mm -hmm. again, you can see here the benefit of diversification because in a risk-off environment, you will have government bond yields basically falling, and then you will benefit from capital appreciation from your government bond exposure in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, the issue we face is that if you focus, for example, on the eurozone, the absolute level of yield is minimal and even mm -hmm. negative. So there's only so much that basically German bonds can rally in, in, mm -hmm. in, in a very difficult environment. Mm -hmm. But now, if you take the view that the environment is going to be difficult and we're going to have a market sell-off, what you want exposure to is U.S. Treasuries. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the yield of the 10-year Treasury, it's still 1.5%, even after uh, two days drop in yield. And so there's a lot more room for Treasuries to fall and basically provide the real buffer versus a, a fall in inequities, for example. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think having a flexible strategy is very important because a flexible strategy enables you to allocate where you see the most value. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. if I was running a pure euro fund, all I would be able to do is buy bonds basically for defensiveness. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that in the current environment, it doesn't work as well as an edge at treasuries, as treasuries. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. why having a flexible portfolio where you can invest in different parts of the market, I think is definitely optimal in this type of environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, regarding the, the credit um, and uh, what happened on the, um, last year, um, the liquidity profile and, and given that uh, we have such a, a pressure uh, on, on the market, uh, do you think that uh, if we do have a moment of uh, uptrend on volatility, can we uh, at the moment uh, have something um, that is similar with what happened with a possible crunch on the credit uh, on the credit side, on the liquidity profile? Yes, I mean, yeah. potentially that, that's something that you, that you could see. I mean, going back to March 2020, I mean, I remember being in the market and trying to sell some double A rated banks and I could sell them, but at the price that I wasn't really happy with. Yeah. Uh, and very clearly we see a liquidity crunch. To be fair, it was less worse than what we had back in 2008. But still, it was very difficult to, to trade. Uh, and that's one reason why when this time around, we decided basically to, to increase the defensiveness of the portfolio. What we've done is increase our exposure to Govis because mm -hmm. that is the ultimate risk-free asset that you can easily trade even in, in a different market condition. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yes, I mean, let's put it this way. If the South African variant is a lot more transmissible, it can evade uh, vaccines where we can probably have quite a big market downturn on, on the back of that until the market understands what are the near and, and medium term implications, and you could see a, a drop in liquidity. Also, mm -hmm. you have to remember that we are at the end of the year. As we say, we are now between the two turkeys, between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, mm -hmm. and liquidity tends to drop quite a lot. And that's why that, you know, the movements we see today on Black Friday are probably also exaggerated by the fact that the US is mostly out today. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But no, definitely liquidity is something that we always have at the top of our mind. And that's why I think a global short duration product is very powerful from that perspective. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the portfolio right now, 80% of the portfolio matches within the next three years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's got a very natural, strong liquidity profile. And that can make a really big difference in very stressed market conditions. Mm -hmm. And um, regarding the moment uh, and uh, what we are looking in terms of uh, the pressure all the managers have on the ESG approach and uh, all the green uh, uh, approach uh, that uh, are imposed to the portfolio. Uh, how do you think, um, how do you look at the market uh, in terms of uh, uh, sustainable and environment and uh, 
um, where do you think that, Val, don't you think that uh, we are uh, beginning to have uh, um, saturated uh, niche on, on the portfolio that could uh, harm uh, the whole uh, the whole market uh, in terms of what can happen if we uh, have more volatility and some areas of the market that uh, uh, seem to be quite expensive uh, and can have uh, pressure where the liquidity will not help. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at the green market, I mean, we've definitely seen a lot more issuance of green bonds, or social bonds over the last year. And even governments that have started to issue, you know, green bonds. And for example, the UK has done quite a big issuance uh, a month ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, we've seen more and more issuance of green bonds. Now, obviously, you also need to be mindful of, of valuations. And actually, quite interestingly, green bonds tend to be more expensive than mm-hmm. the equivalent non-green bonds. So if you look at an issuer and if you look at a green bond, non-green bond, some maturity, some underlying credit risk, usually the green bond tends to be more expensive. And mm-hmm. the reason why is because there's strong technicals. There's a lot of demand be behind those green bonds. Mm-hmm. So again, the view we have is that, yes, we want to participate in green bonds, but not at any cost. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. we believe that, you know, it, it doesn't make sense from a valuation perspective, then we won't participate in, into the green bond. Because again, mm-hmm. it's not a green bond fund that I run. So we have this flexibility to pick green or non-green uh, if mm-hmm. need be. But mm-hmm. I think EAG comes further than just green or green bonds. And the way yes, we do course. EAG at XIM is that, it's fully embedded within our credit research. Mm-hmm. Um, so our credit analysts, when they look at the fundamentals of the company, will also take into account the environmental, social, and governance aspects of the company. And those aspects could potentially lead to a downgrade of the fundamental score of, of, of a company if we believe mm-hmm. that that could have an issue for those particular companies. So we do it at the credit research level. But we also do it within the portfolio. So we have sector exclusions that are linked to, to EAG. Uh, mm-hmm. considerations and we also target an EAG score on the fund that is higher than the EAG score of the benchmark so mm-hmm. again I mean we like to believe at XIM that, that, that we are really a market leader when it comes to EAG but it comes in, in different uh, in different ways and and I think one last point maybe to make on this one engagement is very important mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and again that's something also that we do quite a lot because it's not only about excluding companies it's also about engaging with companies to try to make them better uh, and that is something that we've been doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, ESG uh, is uh, something that, of course, uh, uh, gives us uh, a very relevant uh, uh, perception of uh, what to do. Uh, but these uh, uh, um, uh, changes in terms of uh, the value of uh, some areas that uh, don't have uh, the diff. Uh, they need to have the liquidity for uh, a moment in, with the volatility uh, just uh, increasing. Um, I believe that uh, uh, most probably will harm uh, many investors uh, if we have uh, a really uh, difficult moment in terms of uh, what will happen on our fixed income market because uh, they seem quite expensive. Yeah. Yes, I mean, expensive. And the other thing to, I think, to, to bear in mind is that some, some sectors are structurally cheaper now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking, because some sectors from an ESG perspective tend to be exactly. overlooked by, by investors. I'm thinking about tobacco, I'm thinking about mining, I'm thinking mm-hmm. about oil and gas sectors. All those sectors from an ESG perspective tend to be overlooked. Mm-hmm. And that means that structurally those sectors are just cheaper than the rest of the market because there's less demand mm-hmm. for it. 
and and that's why engagement is very important because we don't believe in just pure exclusions. Mm-hmm, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. we need oil, we need gas, particularly during the winter. Um, so, you know, we need to heat our houses and we still need to be able to go to work. So, you know, we just cannot sit blind our eyes and say, we don't need oil or gas producers. That's not true. We need them. But what we need to do is talk to them and try to have them move towards net zero by 2050. Mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. obviously, if we engage with them, if those companies are not willing to move towards net zero, then that's at this point that we start disinvesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And on the currencies, uh, do you have any view um, on, uh, for instance, uh, for the dollar? Uh, do you think that uh, it will continue uh, its strength uh, on on uh, on uh, um, based on the expectations uh, of um, what will happen uh, in terms of uh, uh, the rates and all the financial market? Yeah, I think where we could see is an environment where the dollar could, could keep on appreciating because very clearly, particularly versus the euro, because as we discussed earlier on, I mean, we don't expect uh, the ECB to hike interest rates mm-hmm, mm-hmm. before the second half of 2023, which is a really long way off when the Fed is probably going to be hiking at least, at least once next year. And probably mm-hmm. three times the year after. Uh, so definitely what we could see is still quite a good strength, particularly of the dollar versus, versus the euros or over the short to medium term. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is something definitely to bear in mind. So now when it comes to the product that I manage, we don't really take currency views because it's a mm-hmm. short duration portfolio. And mm-hmm. if we're starting to take currency views, that will overwhelm the performance of anything else we do. Mm-hmm. So we hedge currency. But I think one thing that is very important to bear in mind is that you can see dislocation across markets. Because most issuers issue in several currencies. And what you can see is a, a bond from, a, from an issuer in one currency can trade a lot cheaper mm-hmm. versus another currency. And mm-hmm. because we are global investors, we can buy euros, dollars, and sterling. What we try to do is get access to the issuers in the cheapest currency. And mm-hmm. sometimes you can have quite a big delta uh, between two currencies uh, for, for the same issuer, in which case we would try to benefit from it because we just arbitrage a different. Mm-hmm. And, and now regarding such m- more uh, um, specific on uh, Asia, um, we do know that uh, uh, Asian bonds and uh, namely uh, high yield uh, were one of uh, the most uh, uh, popular asset classes at the beginning of the year. There was a, um, so, so everyone was and, and still thinks that uh, there is a lot of value given uh, all the the analysts that uh, we look to. Um, most of them say that uh, Asia uh, is uh, actually the more, uh, the cheapest uh, area on the globe in terms of uh, the potential it has. What's your opinion on that? Do you think that uh, all what's happening on the uh, uh, real estate, uh, Evergrande, uh, everything, Uh, do you think that uh, in a such a complex moment uh, at the market as a whole with uh, a lot of uncertainty, do you think that uh, Asia, it's really an opportunity? So, I mean, I mean, if you look at Asia, and obviously a big chunk of Asia high yield is Chinese high yield. And a big proportion of Chinese high yield is Chinese high yield property. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very clearly, so what has been happening is that the, the Chinese authorities have been basically pushing property companies in China to deleverage. They went through the free, the free line, red line policy, and they've been pushing quite hard um, property companies to, to deliver. Uh, mm-hmm. And that obviously has created a lot of issue for a lot of property companies that were using the offshore market, so dollar funding, mm-hmm. 
to be able basically to, to keep on growing. And we've started to see a couple of defaults coming through. Mm-hmm. And obviously, so some of those names have been dropping last stones. I mean, because we, we have an Asia team that is based in Hong Kong that manages that kind of portfolio. And, mm-hmm. and we talk to them on, on a regular basis. And some of the bonds were trading at par midsummer, and now they trade in the 30s, 40s. Um, and if you look at the overall sector, it's been extremely challenging. Um, and I think what is, what is difficult is differentiate across companies, particularly in the single B space, because it's really headline driven and liquidity is not great. So you could have a negative mm-hmm. headline and the bond will drop uh, basically 20, 20 points. Um, mm-hmm. So I think right now looking at the Asia high yield property, I mean, Chinese, Chinese high yield property sector, I think there's definitely a lot of value, but mm-hmm. there's also a lot of risk and having the name selection right, I think is quite challenging in the current environment. Mm-hmm. Now, what is quite amazing is that there hasn't been any contagion to investment grade market. So mm-hmm. if you look at Chinese high yield, I mean, I think at some point we got to years of 30% mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. Chinese investment grade barely moved. True. And I think the reason for that is because there's a strong belief from the market that Chinese authorities will intervene if you started to see some contagion out of Chinese higher property into mm-hmm. Chinese investment grade market. But mm-hmm. so far, there hasn't been any contagion. So yes, there's definitely a lot of value, but there are a lot of risk and the volatility is massive. I mean, we're talking about bonds moving 10, 15 pounds a day. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you have to be you have to be prepared to take that kind of volatility on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, as you have said in your introduction, uh, the, the market is expensive. That uh, um, then we have these uh, areas where we do think that uh, maybe there's value, uh, but uh, if we have a crunch, um, it will not help at all uh, on the diversification. So. Um, in terms of, of your approach, uh, given the importance of the flexible approaches on, on the fixed income portfolios, um, in the yield up trend and increase of volatility, uh, which in your opinion are the main uh, tools you have uh, just to deal with it? Yes, I, I think that uh, in an environment where you expect interest rates to increase and you expect yields to rise, in the fixed income space, you want to be short duration. So you want to have a low duration. I think mm-hmm. that's the first thing because that will help you mitigate the impact on, on capital from an increase in interest rates or in yields. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you also need the flexibility um, to be able to allocate to the asset classes that you think will provide you with the better return according mm-hmm. to the outlook that you have. So I think mm-hmm. flexibility is also very important. Um, but again, I mean, uh, 2022, I think, is going to be definitely more challenging than 2021 was. We started to have a bit of rates volatility towards, uh, for most of 2021, to be fair. And we started to have credit volatility over the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. I think it's just a preview of what we're going to be experiencing in, in 2022. So mm-hmm. if I was having one, maybe one recommendation for, for 2022 would be basically to lower your credit risk within your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, because valuation is very tight and I don't think mm-hmm. it's worth overextending yourself in this type of environment. And I will also move towards, you know, short duration again to try to, to mitigate uh, the negative impact of, of rising yield. That's why we think that the, the global short duration fund is, is quite a good uh, opportunity in this type of environment um, because very clearly it's, it's going to be a very challenging environment in, in, in 2022. Mm-hmm. So I can see that uh, although uh, very challenging, you are optimistic uh, on uh, what uh, uh, flexible uh, approaches in fixed income can deliver. No, definitely. I mean, listen, right now I've got over 30% of government bonds in the portfolio. All I need is a good sell-off 
then I'll be able basically to, to <laughs> honestly, all I need is a good setup in the market to be able to re-risk the portfolio and then benefit from attractive valuations and post very good performance. I mean, to be really honest, the portfolio right now is positioned for a market sell-off in, 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 in the first half of next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we position for that. And if it happens, the fund will be in a really good position to benefit from it and post attractive performance for, for 2022. Mm-hmm. And uh, regarding uh, uh, the, the reference uh, on uh, uh, how uh, low and negative real rates can support equity markets, do you agree on that? Yeah, I, I think I think we're. In, I mean, we've been in a period of financial suppression for for the last couple of, of years, basically. And I think the reason why real rates are so low, it's it's because of QE. Now, obviously, as QE is being withdrawn, what we could see is real rates becoming less and less negative. Now, I think there's only so much less negative that they can become, and mm-hmm. I'm not even sure I'll see again positive real yields in my lifetime, to be honest with you, uh, because that will create massive issues for for markets and for governments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it definitely makes sense to expect real years to increase uh, for, for 2022 as monetary uh, policy is being tightened. Yeah. So uh, I don't think, I, I don't know if uh, uh, you just want to uh, give us uh, uh, a brief uh, on your uh, optimism on uh, what we could uh, expect for the fixed income, but uh, um, I really agree with uh, all your views uh, and uh, hopefully we'll have a very challenging, as you say, uh, next year, but uh, also a profitable one. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, market weakness creates opportunities, right? You just need to be well positioned for it. That, that's the main thing. And market timing is not always easy. But if we are right and if we see uh, a winding it spreads in, in H1 that will create opportunity to risk at better levels, benefit from, from more attractive valuations that will then benefit due to the performance of the portfolio. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think definitely 2022 will be more volatile. So I think investors need to be ready for more volatility in the red market and the credit market. But that creates opportunities. Yeah, and then really value flexible and active approaches. Exactly, exactly. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, meet uh, next year uh, just to wrap up all the, <laughs> all the perspectives that uh, we have spoke about. Exactly. Well, thank you again. Thank you for your time and thank you for your questions. Thank you. Thank you very much.